Um, guys, as always, uh, I always say anytime I'm speaking, uh, two people to pray for specifically, uh, Eva and Phil. Uh, and uh, Phil, if you're if you're listening or watching, uh, bad news, uh, Mr. Jimmy is in the house, so we we haven't gotten kicked out yet. We'll, I'll try to be good, and hopefully uh, we'll, we'll be able to meet again next week. We'll see. It's always iffy. Um, so we're talking about the 12 steps. Uh, the 12-step process is an experience of being changed by a loving, supporting, supportive God who knows what we need and helps us through our pain to see and give up our own selfish agendas and surrender to His. The 12 steps offer a structure of discipline to become holy and whole. Our task is to remove the self-imposed blocks or character defects that stand between God and us. We do this so that we can be awakened, meet God personally with our own true selves, and do His will. The 12 steps are like scaffolding that allows the spiritual house of our personal life to be built. This study of the 12 steps will be an amazing spiritual adventure. Act like a man. Uh, and so today I'm, uh, we're, gonna, we're moving to step eight. Uh, we are becoming willing to make amends. Uh, now, this isn't the actual making of amends. This is just kind of becoming willing to po the possibility of actually going to the people that you've hurt and like looking them in the eye and owning the things that you need to own. And, and um, you know, we always start out with a song. And so uh, I think there's a great song that, that demonstrates this idea of making amends. Um, very powerful, uh, very biblical, biblically based song. And so uh, the words are on your sheet. Um, and so listen to the music and we'll prepare our hearts to dive in. So. <laughs> My daddy left home when I was three Didn't leave very much to my ma and me Just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze Now I don't blame him cause he's running head But the meanest thing that my daddy ever did Was before he left he went and named me Sue He must have thought that it was quite a joke And it got a lot of laughs from a lot of folks Seems I had to fight my whole life through some gal would giggle and I'd turn red And some guy'd laugh and I'd bust his head I tell you, life ain't easy for a boy named Sue But I grew up quick and I grew up mean My fist got hard and my wits got keen Going from town to town to hide my shame But I made me a vow to the moon and stars I'd search the awful talks and bars And kill that man and give me that awful name well, it was Gatlinburg in mid-July, and I just hit town, and my throat was dry. 
Thought I'd stop and have myself a brew At an old saloon on a street of mud There at a table dealing stud Set the dirty mangy dog could name me Sue Well, I knew that snake was my own sweet dad from a worn-out picture that my mother had. I knew that scar on his cheek and his evil eye. He was big and bent and gray and old, and I looked at him, and my blood ran cold. I said, my name is Sue. How do you do? Now you're going to die. Yeah, that's what I said. Well, I hit him hard right between the eyes And he went down, but to my surprise Come up with a knife and cut off a piece of my ear Then I busted a chair right across his teeth And we crashed through the wall into the street Kicking and a-gouging in the mud and the blood and the beer Well, I tell you, I fought tougher men But I really can't remember when He kicked like a mule and he bit like a crocodile I heard him laugh and then I heard him cuss and he went for his gun, but I pulled mine first. He stood there looking at me and I saw him smile. He said, now, son, this world is rough and if a man's going to make it, he's got to be tough. And I knew I wouldn't be there to help you alone. So I give you that name and I said goodbye and I knew you'd have to get tough or die. And it's that name that helped to make you strong. He said, now you just fought one hell of a fight And I know you hate me and you got the right To kill me now and I wouldn't blame you if you do But you ought to thank me before I die For the gravel in your gut will spit in your eye Cause I'm the that named you Sue What could I do? I got all choked up and I threw down my gun. I called him a paw and he called me son. I come away with a different point of view. And I think about him every now and then, every time I try and every time I win. And if I ever have a boy, I think I'm going to name him Bill or George. Anything but Sue. I still hate that name. What a dirty thing to be the boy. Name Sue. Making amends. Uh, you know, another word for making amends, uh, I think, is uh, reconciliation. Second um, uh, Corinthians, uh, Paul writes about this idea of the ministry of reconciliation. Um, if you read the passage, you go 18, uh, verse uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, 18 through 21. Uh, and all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. <clears throat> you know, the idea of reconciliation, making amends, uh, it, it really is uh, all that Jesus talked about. Wasn't a whole lot about morals and principles and all the stuff that we've kind of somehow made evangelical Christianity uh, today. 
Because everything Jesus talked about, everything the Bible uh, speaks to, is whole and healthy relationship. Any of the references, even in the Old Testament, this idea of I've set before you life or death. I mean, even going back to the garden, to the beginning. Uh, if you eat of that tree, uh, you will surely die. Well, they ate of the tree. They did not die. It's not a reference to physical death. It's a reference to relational death. Their relationship with God died. It suffered. Their relationship with each other suffered as a result of their sin. And God reconciled uh, them unto himself out of his grace and his mercy. Um, you know, grace was present in the Old Testament too, not just in the New. Uh, and so this idea of reconciliation and making amends, uh, it's kind of important. When you look at that 2 Corinthians passage, uh, Paul uses the word reconciliation uh, like five times. Uh, I, I've, over the years, I've kind of learned, you know, kind of when you read Scripture and, and you see something repeated and repeated and repeated, uh, it, it, it may mean that that, that might be uh, pretty freaking important. And you might, we might need to pay attention to that. Uh, and I have said, you know, the, the 12 steps, uh, I believe, and um, many others, uh, I say this every time uh, I talk about the steps, uh, Dallas Willard, uh, if you're not familiar with him, you should get familiar with him. Um, uh, and he was not a counselor type. Many times, you know, the 12 steps kind of get relegated to this, well, uh, you know, that, that's for those people over there in recovery. Yeah, what, you know, th those bad people, not us, not us good people sitting on the front row in church. You know, that, that 12 step stuff, that's for the, you know, that's those people that meet down in the basement of the church. I mean, we let them meet here because, you know, they, they're they're just pretty pitiful and they and they really really need it like not man we we don't we 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 look good you know wow we are good but you know those people they they meet kind of it's down in the basement uh in the in the church building uh you know metal chairs in a circle you know not 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 the good we can't put the good church chairs down there because you know those people they they'll probably tear them up or something so, so we're going to let them meet in, in this, you know, basement, metal chairs, and, and, a, and, and a naked light bulb. It's always the naked light bulb down in those rooms, you know, because it's, it's those people, those people in recovery. Dallas Willard um, was not a, he wasn't a counselor type. You know, I always say I, I are that, um, and I always hate even saying it because <laughs> I really don't like counseling world. Terrible! Like I'm a I'm a banker and I hate the banking world. Um, 
there, there's lots of reasons for that for me. Uh, so much of what's going on in our culture today uh, with a lot of just the crazy, crazy victim, victim mentality. I mean, we just, just watch the news. Uh, so much of what is being fought about, talked about, protested about, um, comes out of crazy counseling world, uh, uh, out of the universities today, humanities and social sciences. Uh, and, and gentlemen, we have, we have lost that battle. I can remember back, uh, you know, back in the day listening to, you know, James Dobson, Jerry Falwell, Phyllis Schlafly, uh, just, I mean, all of them back in the day were warning, uh, about the culture wars. Well, we, we've lost, uh, the, the university system is completely out there with all this stuff and and the counseling world comes out of social studies and humanities so i'm just you know i'm just saying uh be aware of that you know if you're gonna certainly if you're gonna go see a counselor um please make sure it, it's a christian counselor and like a christian counselor that like actually does the deal um but, but it's just, it's crazy town. That's why I say, it's like, man. And then everybody thinks, you know, oh, counselor, we're going to we're gonna sit around and talk about feelings and we're going to do group hugs. Oh, let me pet your victimhood or something. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, my, my counseling uh, model is probably the old guy on the Geico commercial. Uh the, the guy that played the drill sergeant in all the movies, uh, and it's a Geico commercial, and I, I we should show that sometime. But, you know, the, the little guy's laying on the couch, and he's crying, and the old drill sergeant counselor, like, says, well, you jack wagon, I guess we need to go on over to Mamby Pamby land. And then he throws the box of Kleenex at him. Uh, I'm just saying. I relate a lot more to that than I do somehow coddling somebody's uh, pitiful, pathetic victim feelings. Um, <laughs> nobody, I, I, I'm doing a great job of marketing, aren't I? Uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, but Dallas Willard, uh, who's not a counselor type, uh, Dallas Willard was a professor of philosophy at the University of Southern California, um, probably one of the most brilliant theologians uh, of our time. Uh, but he didn't operate as a theologian. He operated as a philosophy professor at the University of Southern California. <laughs> uh, and in that setting, in that setting, uh, he was dearly, dearly loved by his students and his peers. Now, guys, to be in that setting uh, and to be a, a very, very uh, strong Christian presence, um, that's the real deal. That's one reason I always say I will listen. I listen to him. I pay attention. Uh, and in his book, Renovation of the Heart, uh, Willard said that the 12 steps are the best avenue for Christian spiritual formation available to us in this generation. Again, he's not a counselor type. I mean, 
you know, his whole area of work was around spiritual formation. You know, our spirits are formed for good or for evil. That process begins the day we're born. And when we grow up in dysfunction, when we grow up in chaos, <laughs> uh, like I, I know nobody in here did, um, but, but in that process, uh, theoretically, I know none of us know about that in here, uh, our spirit is formed uh, by what we're seeing modeled, uh, what is going on uh, in front of us as children, uh, over time, you know, that begins to become part of who we are. It like, it kind of gets in our DNA. So if you grow up in this home where it's just, you know, chaos and dysfunction, and uh, it, it may not have been like, uh, like, full-blown alcoholism, you know. Uh, I always say my dad was a, he was a very functional, uh, he is, no, he, he quit drinking uh, uh, several years ago. Uh, he got on some uh, uh, antidepressant medication and uh, my, my stepmom, who I call my mother, went to the doctor and, and she told him, she said, now look, because, you know, small town Mississippi, you go to the doctor and tell the doctor what he needs to tell my dad and so she told the doctor uh she said now look you need to tell him on this antidepressant medication he can only have one glass of wine she she's pretty smart because if if like she'd have told him if the doctor said you know, you gotta quit drinking mm, uh, he probably would have just gone ahead and died right there but but one glass of wine okay and so he has maintained this like I, it's like a miracle of God. Again, he was uh, he was functional, very functional, and I always say he's 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 91. He'll be 92 this year, and I, I love him dearly. I know he loves me, uh, but he is a pain in the ass at 92. Uh, you know, I always say the one great thing about my father is uh, very very wonderful character quality is he is he has been consistent. Think about it. And and so, you know, again, I didn't, uh, my mom and dad divorced, you know, child of divorce. Uh, that, that creates chaos in all of our lives. Um, so many people I sit with, you know, it's like even when we, you know, deer camp and guys telling his story. And, you know, we always love the guy that starts his story out with, Man, I had this wonderful, great childhood. It was just so awesome. It was so perfect. And oh man, mom, it was like leave it to Beaver. And wow, it was just oh god, that was great. Now, if you're there sometime, and that kind of starts, just just kind of watch, and you'll see me or George or some of the regular guys. You know, we'll, we'll lean over each other and go, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. And then it's like emerald, you know, bam! Oh, there it is. Yeah, dad, mom, they, well, you know, I was 14. They divorced or, you know, yeah, dad, you know, he's a great dad. He worked all the time and, and, and he, you know, he drank a little bit. But, but yeah, it's great, it's great. There's something in us that wants to protect that idealized version of, of what we grew up in. 
and you know, and this 12 step work, all of this work, everything that we do, it's not about blaming. It's about awareness. Uh, everything that Jesus talked about, when he talks about blindness, <laughs> blind scribes, I mean, there's so many references to the eye, to blindness, but, but every one of those is about awareness. You've got to become aware. You know, the Jeremiah 29, 11 pass. We all know that pass. Well, used to say that. I don't know what's happened today. We, we don't really value, you know, kind of biblical knowledge a whole lot anymore. Liter- literacy of the Bible. Um, it's kind of important. But, but the Jeremiah 29, 11 passage is this idea of like the vision, the hope, the plans, the future that I've given you. You know, that, that Hebrew, the Hebrew language is so awesome. But the word picture there is the picture uh, of a man in a rowboat. And, and so a man in a rowboat, in order to move forward, he is looking backwards. Well, that's, you know, okay, vision, future, plan, hope. But I got to look backwards. I got to face backwards. Yeah, in order to get to where you want to be, you got to understand where you came from. You got to be aware. Why do you keep doing the things that you keep doing over and over again that keep you in the cul-de-sac of a three-ring circus? There's a reason for every behavior. Our duty, our responsibility as Christians is is beginning to become aware, beginning to understand, okay, why do I keep doing what I'm doing? Why do I keep repeating these behavioral patterns? Why do I keep repeating these same relational patterns? Why do I keep having the same fight with my wife a thousand times? <laughs> you know, most of what couples fight about, it's not a thousand different fights. It's the one fight a thousand times. That's a relational behavioral pattern. I, 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 I sat with a pastor not long ago, and um, it, it's always it, it, that's always kind of fun to me. Um, but but anyway, I I was just telling him uh, I was like, kind of where I sit, and and not just from a clinical standpoint or any of that bull crap, but just my own personal experience uh, of of 28 plus years of recovery from my own sexual addiction uh, and then I mean like literally over those years like sitting in groups or or across the coffee uh, table across the breakfast table across the I mean with like literally thousands I mean like over a thousand men easily um, I, I'd said to this, I said, well, here, here's kind of what I think. Because, you know, he's asking me, like, how do you work with a guy dealing with sexual addiction, porn addiction, sexual brokenness is my preferred term. And so I'm just kind of, we're talking. And, and, and I said to him, I said, well, I just, I do not believe that it is possible for you to pray your way out of something that you have behaved your way into. 
again, I'm just I'm only talking from my experience. Uh, uh, I don't I don't have a whole lot in in that arena, uh, and that and that's true about any behavior. It's about any kind of pattern, and like specifically around this sexual stuff. You know, so many of us got exposed to this. Well, we got exposed to it when we were about you know two or three year old two year two or three years old and like our diaper came off and we got exposed to it because we found something that like felt really good wow we discovered fire watch it watch a two, two or three year old boy run around little boy without his diaper uh like hopefully it's like your own or grandchild or something don't just say it gotta be careful um but but the first thing he's going to do, I mean, he's going to grab his penis. Yay, woo. It's innocent. It's not sexual at all. But it's like, man, he discovered something that feels really good. <laughs> um, and then many times that gets reinforced uh, like a whole lot. And then you add some dopamine hits to it uh, through some visuals in some way and over time now you've got this powerful neurologically reinforced pattern a process that's going on in your brain and so the idea that like to think that somehow that you can pray harder uh I always, I don't, I don't even know what that means. I always say, does that mean grunt when I pray? Because um, I, I tried to do that in my own journey. I, I tried really hard because uh, I heard that, uh, like pray harder. Hmm. Didn't work. Again, uh, thousands of men. It didn't work for them either. Uh, it won't work for you either. But you can try it, uh, and then you can. You know, I heard this one all the time. Read your Bible more. Well, dude, I, I did that. I mean, I, I got involved in, I was involved in Bible study the day I came to Jesus at 20 years old. Uh, I would always joke and say, when I came to Christ, you know, I, I became a good Baptist and I quit drinking, cussing, and smoking. Because that's what, that, that's what it means, right? Like, if you just, you, you, you stop doing those things. And man, now you're you're deacon material. Although my Eva's dad, he little country Baptist church, and he he was a deacon and a full blown alcoholic. So you know we call that grace. Yeah, he didn't he didn't even do the the whole Baptist deal. But 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 I I, I dove in and I mean I. I I've done Bible study, and I tell all these guys that I was like, that's not even optional. Like, if if you're a Christian, whatever that is today, if you are that, like, studying your Bible and being engaged in a, like, disciplined, ongoing study of Scripture, it's that's, that's like, not optional. I mean, that's just part of the deal. But 
so I, I was doing that, you know, and I was doing it uh, out of hunger, uh, wanting to be free from this thing that, that had wrapped around my soul, that, that had me in the death grip uh, of horrific, awful life. It was really the, the hell of my own choosing, in a sense. Now again, I I didn't I didn't choose at, at eight years old uh, for my parents to get divorced. I did not choose to get exposed to pornography when I was about eight or nine years old. I, I didn't choose when I was a child to have that stuff just on the bedside table in our with two older brothers and a mother's attitude that boys will be boys. I, I did not I didn't choose that. So so you know, the shame somehow of like I'm the worst person in the world because of what I was doing, uh, even being presidents of our Sunday school class at one of the biggest Baptist churches in Atlanta, wearing this mask and wearing it tight. I mean, there were lots of things that went into this recipe to get there. And that's true in everybody's life that's battling whatever they're battling. That, that's a reality. I hate I hate this stuff because I, 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 I don't ever follow. I mean, I, yeah. Jeff, put it up there so they can fill in the blanks because because it's 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 driving all the anal retentive types crazy. You know, this, this stuff is a test. You know, it's like okay, I'm mean, I'm just watching guys with their pen and it's like okay, yeah, potential client, potential client, yeah, oh yeah, that guy's OCD, yeah, oh yep, there, okay. Because they they can't even, they, don't, they can't hear anything I'm saying because uh, they haven't got the blanks filled in uh, so there you go okay fill in the blanks uh, yeah yeah I know it's like okay uh, <laughs> the 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 word amends you know I always like these words that we hear I, I always just look up I, I like to look up the definitions of them amends uh, simply means to compensate or make up for a wrongdoing. Synonyms of amend, uh, make good, atone, make up, compensate, recompense, redress, indemnify, make up to. And again, the word reconciliation, I believe those two are like Siamese twins. Um, reconciliation, the restoration of friendly relations. The action of making one view or belief compatible with another. <laughs> Because my belief about what happened is very different than that other person's belief about what happened. Uh, because I'm prideful and I am egotistical and I am selfish. And my view is right. Yours is wrong. The action of making one view or belief compatible with another. Synonyms of reconciliation, agreement, compromise, understanding, peace, harmonizing, uh, balancing, reuniting, bringing together, da 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 da. You get the picture. <laughs> uh, there's a whole lot there with all of this. Um, it's interesting. Uh, 
I, I also just I, I love just looking at the Hebrew and kind of the real meaning of all this stuff, not the way it got translated into English with a with a Greek philosophy uh, kind of uh, interjection. Um, but but there are two words for amend in Hebrew, yatav and salim. Uh, the first word, uh, yatav, does not mean a worded apology. It literally means to exist good. Amends. To exist good. There's an action component. In that. If you're going to exist good, uh, you're, you're going to have to do something. Jeremiah 7, 5, it says, thoroughly amend your ways. Uh, in, in the Torah, Tanakh, the old, the, 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 the original uh, text, uh, the word yatav, yatav is repeated twice for that Jeremiah 7, 5. Exist good, exist good. Thoroughly, thoroughly amend your ways. And it's just this idea that it's not lip service. You know, saying I'm sorry about something that you've done or you've deeply hurt someone else, boy, that, that, it's just about pointless. I, I, I really, I wish we could eliminate the words I'm sorry from the English language because it's just completely meaningless. It doesn't mean a thing. Because most of us, we say, I'm sorry, uh, because we got caught. We got found out. We got called on the carpet. You know, I'm sorry. And, and what we're saying I'm sorry about is more about my own ego, my own pride. You know, I'm really sorry that I got found out. I'm really sorry that I got to deal with this crap now. I'm really sorry I got to listen to you gripe and moan and complain about what I did again. Oh, my goodness. I am so sorry that I have to listen to that. that, that that's what most of the time, that's what I'm sorry means. But, but when we've done something and we say, I was wrong, I was wrong to do what I did. And, and I will change that. It's not, and I can change that. You know, our words frame our reality. Um, I hear it often, you know, like, okay, what, what, are, what, are you, what are you willing to do around this? Well, I can do this, and I can do that, and I can, I go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. You, you, so are you saying you, you will do it? <laughs> are you saying you can do it? Because, you know, you can do it. It's kind of like, well, you know, I, I can do this. Might do it. I don't know. It, yeah, I, I can. I don't mean I'm going to do squat. <laughs> but it's like giving your word, your commitment, your all, it, I, I will change this. I will do it different. The second word, uh, come, Salim, comes from the, the root word shalom, which most of us know that means peace in Hebrew, uh, and it actually means to be at peace, to 
be completed, to repay in full, make full restitution. <laughs> in order to have peace, you've got to make full restitution. Again, it's an action word. You know, I sit with uh, so many guys, and and it's like, uh, I think I think most men are, if we had a need, if we knew we had a need, uh, we didn't even know we have needs. Uh, but if we figured out that we have a need, our need would be, I want peace, <laughs> which basically just means I want you to leave me alone. Uh, I, I, I want you to like stop talking to me. I want to watch ESPN. Ah, oh, you're wearing me out. I want peace. I want peace. And 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 certainly this idea of even the word shalom, to be at peace, be completed to repay in full, make full restitution. And then and then so many times a guy can't figure out why it's just like, man, you know, I, I just I can't have peace with my wife. We just fight all the time. She's right. And I'm always like, well, you know, that that ain't an external problem. That's an internal problem. And and in order to get to peace, <laughs> you're gonna have to uh, admit some things. You're going to have to make amends. You're going to have to, like, do the deal. If you want to get there, if you really want to have peace, now if you don't, then don't do that. Just keep fighting and keep arguing. You know, James chapter 4 says, What is it that causes fights and quarrels among you? It's her. (laughs) It's my boss. It's my kids. No, James says, the thing that causes fights and quarrels among you is your desires, your unmet desire that wage war inside of you. Your desire for peace uh, will come at a price. Because you're going to have to sit uh, with the one you love, look her in the eye, and you're going to have to do ownership, and you're going to have to make amends. You know, Jesus said, "Blessed are the peacemakers." Uh, he did. He did not say, "Blessed are the nice makers." Everybody just make nice, make nice, make nice. Uh, you know, he didn't say peacekeepers. Just keep the peace. Don't rock the boat. Be silent. Take it. Don't speak into anything. Jesus, Jesus walked around uh, picking fights. He walked around confronting. He walked around speaking into things that needed to be spoken into. <clears throat> I want to show a clip. Uh, I don't know. Jeff, put the rest of those things up there. You know, the biblical models are so important. Of, um, I mean, these are the pictures of what it means to really go and make amends, to do the deal to initiate, to take action, to do what is required. Uh, I think the Jacob and Esau story is so powerful because that that passage, you know, Esau, after Jacob, now Jacob did some work to get to this place. I love Jacob because he just, he's, he's like me. You know, Jacob was a manipulator and he was a chameleon and man, he would, you know, Jacob would have been a great salesman today. And, um, 
but but Jacob, you know, Jacob comes to himself after he crosses the river at Jabbok and wrestles with God, uh, wrestles with himself in this process, kind of figures out who he is. He gets told who he is, his identity. Uh, you know, now you're going to be Israel. And so Jacob gets clue, uh, becomes aware, and then Jacob begins uh, to work towards reconciliation with his brother. Uh, amazing story. Esau sees him because of the work that Jacob has done, and Esau runs, and they hug, and they kiss, and weep together. And then the Joseph and his brothers, oh my goodness, you want to read the, the, the model and picture of what it means to reconcile relationship o on the side of the one who has been offended. Holy cow. Joseph is the man. Beautiful story. Uh, I want to show a clip. Uh, I came across this. Um, uh, well, there's documentary. Tom Petty, you know, he passed away a couple, uh, couple of months ago, actually. And um, he... Uh, he did this. They did this documentary, "Running Down a Dream." It, it's a it's a great documentary. Um, it's not Christian, uh, but it's really good. So there there's one piece in here that I think speaks to this idea of like what happens when relationships are not reconciled, and and so certainly father son theme. Uh, today, Johnny Cash, a boy named Sue, which is the picture of reconciliation and making amends in a relationship. Uh, this one is 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 not so much. So, watch this clip. <laughs> But the people who make it, and who make it for as long as Petty has made it, have to have some kind of rocket fuel driving. I get the sense from the songs that there was some anger in Tom that was bigger than normal teenage rebellion. There was something that drove him out of Gainesville and drove him through all of these battles and all this refusal to back down to the normal way business is done, or even to make the normal compromises that people make in order to get ahead. I was always struck by how many great rock musicians lost their mothers when they were very young. That would be Lennon and McCartney, the guys in U2, Madonna, Jimi Hendrix, Aretha Franklin, Sinead O'Connor. It becomes an incredible list if you look for it. And I said that to Bono once. Both he and Larry Mullen and U2 lost their mothers when they were kids. And he said, it seems like the untold story of rock and roll is either your mother died or your father hated you. And he said, and if like me, you were lucky enough to have both, there's no limit to what you can accomplish. Those two factors, you know, the dangerous shadowy figure of a dad and the sweet mom that left too early in your life, I think that gives you a certain drive. Though I wasn't aware of it at the time, but if I look back on it, I kind of turned that anger into ambition. There was an extreme rage in me that from time to time would show its head through a lot of my life. Any sort of injustice just outraged me. I just couldn't contain myself. And this comes from, from my dad just being so incredibly verbally abusive to me. And uh, he was certainly 
physically abusive at times. He would uh, give me pretty good beatings most of my life. Oh, he was just crazy. You know, the house could erupt into a fist fight. Myself or my mother, if we were there, which we usually always were, we would get in the middle of it too and, and obviously try to stop it. I know on numerous occasions I, um, you know, basically tried to tackle my father to try to, you know, so that my brother could get away. I remember my mom even taking a few to the face trying to get between me and my dad, you know. I think he was harder on Tom because Tom was not really willing to conform to what he wanted as a son. I wasn't a fisherman, I wasn't a hunter, I wasn't, I was just this mild-mannered little kid that was really interested in the arts more than anything. My mother was always kind of the glue that held the family together. She was an angel, just wonderful and, and very good to me. You know, she's the one that it really made it seem like a home. Though she worked every day, my grandmother on my mother's side was very close to me. And she was very supportive all through my childhood and uh, just told me always, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. Uh, my brother is Prince, you know, just a, a wonderful guy. Don't think we've ever had an argument in our lives. It was a strange household. I didn't even have a Southern accent. And my family, you know, they talk with these really thick accents, but for some reason, I never got one. And I often, I remember being, you know, five years old and really thinking that my parents had been replaced by aliens. And so I, I think when music came along, that's where I escaped to. As my brother became more and more successful, then my father became more and more supportive. And obviously he started to realize that um, he was uh, he was wrong. Reconcile, I don't think so. I think he certainly loved my success and became uh, it became his identity in Gainesville. You know, he was my dad, and which really sort of insulted me that he embraced rock in such a big way when he'd been so against it. You don't get to where he got to from where he started out unless you have something to prove to somebody who's not listening to you. Reconcile. I don't think so. Guys, on the on the questions, on the journal piece, um, just basic basic four questions. Are you willing to be willing to make amends? Just just not saying even willing. Just get to willing to be willing. Who do you need to make amends to? Are you willing to be specific about the things you've done that hurt? others and then number four write out your list write it out of those you've harmed and go through it with a safe person before you actually begin the process safe person is someone who's actually done it and they're living a life of continual reconciliation we should call that a christian but may not be the case might have to look hard to find somebody that's actually done the deal. 
that's someone that's living a life of recovery, which simply means recovering the life that God intended, not those people down there, over there in the basement. It, it, it's us. Let me pray. Father God, thank you uh, so much uh, for just all that you offer us, all that you give us, and Lord, you breathe life into us even this morning, uh, and even that is a reminder uh, Lord, of your mercy that, that you tell us is new each day and let us rest in that. Let us live in that and let us go out and practice the things that you tell us will bring us to the place uh, that you want us to be as we live the way and the truth and the life in you, Jesus. And man, Jesus, we love you. Amen.